living as sons of light. And Ephesians will be the focus of the book. This is not going to be a line-by-line teaching. Um, we're, we're planning to do at least four parts if we're having a good time. Maybe we'll do a few more. Um, but uh, um, I'm excited. Richard and Marie will be joining me as well. So the inspiration for this study, Living as Sons of Light, is from Ephesians 5.8. So you can jot that down. Very important verse over the course of the next few weeks. Ephesians 5.8, For you are formerly darkness... Now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of the light. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we are called as sons of light, as children of light today. I pray for a deep rooting and grounding in the love of God. I pray that you would send the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your son, that we would grow in deep intimacy with our King, Jesus Christ, tonight. And I ask for words of power to strike our hearts, for the sword of the Spirit to come. And you would break off all oppression and bondage of the evil one. And you would bring freedom in this room tonight to every heart, every soul. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm going to start this week with an introduction in how chapter 1 carries this theme of living as sons of light um, again, Corey Russell will be here next week, so we will pause it. Come out for Corey. Corey brings the glory, um, so come out next week. Um, and then we'll proceed the following week with uh, King Richard. We'll continue. So again, the theme of this series is inspired by Ephesians 5.8. I'm going to read it again. For you were formerly darkness, now you are light. In the Lord. Therefore... Walk as children of the light. This verse encapsulates the heart of this series, and I would argue the heart of the book of Ephesians. Um, this, uh, um, the, the first few chapters of the book of Ephesians will focus on the first half of this verse, and then the, uh, um, the second half of Ephesians will focus on the second. So um, this verse, Ephesians 5.8, tells us three very important things. Um, number one that the people of Ephesus and that the church of God were formerly darkness, um, formerly in bondage to sin. Their primary identity before they met Jesus was deeply connected to, caused by, influenced by the sin and demonic oppression in their lives. In a few moments, we'll talk about what that looked like specifically in the church of Ephesus. Um, but their, the, the orientation of their nature, of their identity, was completely defined by the sin that had dominated their lives before they met Jesus. However, point number two, now you are light in the Lord. That the former orientation of their identity before they met Jesus was defined by the sin that dominated their lives. But now that Jesus has come in, they have been transferred from darkness into light. They have been clothed with light, and now their identity is based in that reality. Light in the Lord. Who we are... And who we are now is what this verse is telling us. Our new identity, our new nature. Again, the first half, 
chapters 1 through some of 4, will focus on this first part of being formerly darkness and now light. However, Paul is going to note that this new identity of light that has been bestowed by the grace of Jesus Christ is directly to affect the way that they walk out their daily life. Therefore, walk as children of the light. And that's the third thing this verse tells us. Something very important to notice, generally speaking, about the New Testament is there is a lot about what Jesus has done for us and our new identity and our new nature in him. However, it, that new identity and that truth of who we are, as powerful it is, as it is, the New Testament never stops there. The New Testament always focuses on identity in Christ and the finished work of the cross and then translates it into day-to-day life and how that's supposed to be walked out, okay? So, formerly darkness, now light. Our new life in Christ by the grace of God and our new lifestyle. So how we walk out our new life in Christ is, is directly tied to um, who we are. And so it's, it's important to keep in mind who we were before Jesus came and encountered us. And I love what Tracy was doing as we were transitioning from, from singing and praising that to remember what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes, uh, whereas the the primary focus of the book of Ephesians is on the new identity of the saints, it does not neglect where they came from. Because when we reflect on what God has saved us from, it produces a deep appreciation, a humility, because God sought us when we weren't seeking him, um, and, uh, and a great love for the Lord. In the Old Testament, Israel had been brought out of slavery from Egypt, and God was continually reminding the people of Israel, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So he was remembering, he was reminding them of the goodness that he displayed to them by taking them out of slavery and bringing them into a place of promise, a place of inheritance, a place of new life and prosperity in the Lord. So um, being educated and reminded of our identity in Christ uh, empowers us to walk out a life of righteousness and growing in experiential knowledge of these truths, very important. It fuels our new life in Christ. What do I mean by experiential knowledge? I mean that we take the theology of the book of Ephesians, for example. (coughs) You have been redeemed and washed. You have been redeemed by his blood, it says in Ephesians 1, verse 7. Forgiven of sin. So when we read the book, we're reminded of it intellectually. We're... We preach on it theologically, but we want that truth to impact our heart, our emotions. We want to experience the reality of what it means to be redeemed, um, to be forgiven by, uh, um, by God. How do we do that? Well, really simple, is that we take the theological truths of the Bible 
and we turn it into dialogue with Jesus. It's really that simple. Um, this is the Passion Translation, which I just got my hands on today. Glenda Wakeman was kind to let me borrow this book. Um, I've never read the Passion Translation. I've heard Lana Bowser uh, refer to it a number of times. And so, and so I associate it with her. So actually when I read it, I hear a, a, a woman with an English accent uh, narrating the Bible to me. <laughs> so Australian, I'm sorry, Lana. Um, Australian, the England, they had their fingers in a lot of places over history. <laughs> <laughs> We're all English. We're all English. <laughs> Lord. Um, so we take a verse, and I'm going to take verse 7 and read it. Since we are now joined to Christ, oh, I love that, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins. All because of the cascading riches of his grace. I love it. So we read that, but what we do to grow an experiential knowledge, to have a heart encounter with this theological truth, is we simply pray it back to God. Personalize it. So here's what I'm going to do with this verse. And I encourage you to do this throughout the, um, throughout the study as different verses are highlighted. So I read it, but now I'm going to pray it. Jesus, thank you that I have been joined to you. Thank you for the treasures of redemption that by your blood. Thank you for buying me back from slavery to sin. Thank you, Jesus, for the total cancellation of all of my sins. And for the cascading riches of your grace. And then we wait, we drink up every bit of life and glory in those words. Amen. We pray it back to God. Um, I encourage you to sing it to God. I love songs that take truths from Scripture and turn them into song. And of course, we know there, there's a million that can come to mind, but, but just the, the song, No Longer Slaves. No, I'm no longer a slave to fear. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm a child of God. <laughs> I don't know why Jeremy, the spirit of Jeremy Camp just came over me right then. Um, God bless that man. Um, but when we, when we sing, I love singing that song. I love singing songs like it because that opens up music, opens up your soul to receive revelation, to receive um, this truth into your heart. So um, another way we grow an experiential knowledge of these theological truths is that when the enemy comes against us with the opposite, you're worthless. You're not important. Nobody likes you. God doesn't like you. You're condemned. When those flaming darts of Satan come against us, we take up, Ephesians 6, the shield of faith, which is agreement with the word of God, and we're like, ah, no. I've been joined to Christ. I'm redeemed by his blood. I've got the total cancellation of sins. 
So every time the enemy, a flaming dart comes to remind you of a sin of the past. No, shield of faith, come up. Total cancellation of sins. Hallelujah! And I've got the riches of his grace cascading over me and pouring down into just those those flaming darts. They hit that shield and extinguished by faith in the word of God. And then it impacts our hearts because we get trained to stand against the evil one. Okay, Um, it also becomes experiential um, when we not only use it for our own lives, but other people's lives. So when our friend is weighed down with condemnation, with guilt, um, with with any kind of discouragement, we bring in kindly, gently. Maybe sometimes we get a little loud. That's important, too. They come up to you like, gosh, I'm just still bummed about this thing that I did years ago or this, this sin habit that I'm trying to get over right now. And we come in and we say, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that he has totally canceled all of your sins. And then the, the word of God becomes the sword of the spirit and it breaks off that bondage and that oppression over their lives. Man, Ephesians 6, we're only in chapter one. I'm already talking about the sword of the spirit, but that's okay. Um, We want experiential knowledge and intimacy with Jesus. So, Paul tells the Ephesians who they were, who they are now, and how they ought to live now. In other words, the freedom that is available to them because they are new in Christ. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the church in Ephesus. Many scholars think that, that this letter was written Uh, During Paul's imprisonment in Rome, he makes reference to being in chains at the end of the book. Um, So probably towards the end of the uh, the 50s or the early 60s of the first century. Um, So he's he's writing this book, um, but when he says to them, you were formerly darkness, he was very intimately intimately acquainted with what that looked like. Um, And because he was there on the ground when the revival broke out in Ephesus. Um, Acts chapter 19 tells us a bit about it. Ephesus was a part of Asia Minor, and it was a, a very important trade city and uh, that was primarily devoted to the worship of a pagan goddess named Diana or Artemis. She was a fertility goddess, a sex goddess. A huge temple was in Ephesus that was dedicated to her And there was a plurality of worship of other gods going on in the area, um, but she was was a a prominent deity that they worshipped, also known as the Queen of Heaven. Um, um, So this huge demonic principality that's being worshipped in Ephesus, um, it was very important even to the economy of the city of Ephesus. So important that when Paul starts uh, uh, preaching the gospel and people start getting saved, they start leaving their, their worship of Diana, of Artemis, and, and, and even start burning their idols and such and, uh, and start worshiping Jesus. The main sales clerk in the town who's selling these silver idols of, of Artemis, of Diana, is, raises a huge ruckus over this, a, a, a riot that 
I'm just imagining as you read about in Acts 19, these, Paul and his friends are probably about to get killed in this incident. Um, and, uh, and for two hours, they're shouting and writing and probably about to kill these guys. Um, because as so many people were getting saved, that it was destroying the, 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 the business um, for, for Diana worship. Um, but what's important to note, to, to note about these worship of pagan deities in the ancient world is that these, uh, this, this was not mythology and fairy tale stories that people told their kids at night for entertainment. People worshiped these things. People offered sacrifices to these gods in the temples. And Artemis in particular, as a sex goddess, the temple prostitution was uh, very prevalent in Ephesus. So it was a center of a cult, of sorcery, and of sex trafficking. All in the name of goddess worship. Heavily demonic, heavy demonic oppression going on. So, when he tells these Ephesian disciples um, that they got saved, he's saying, you guys worshipped Diana and all these other gods, and you would go to the temple and worship these gods by engaging in all forms of immorality. Um, there's, there, was, there was sexual addiction. There was, there was demonic worship. There was, there was sorcery and witchcraft. But now they are light in the Lord. Acts 19 goes on uh, that Paul visits a, a small group of disciples that had heard about Jesus through a man named Apollos. Now, they had only received John's baptism, so Paul goes to them and asks them in Acts chapter 19, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's a very important question. Paul didn't necessarily equate believing in Jesus with being empowered and and dwelt and filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, that he asked them, you believe in Jesus? Yes! Ah, he was excited to find some believers, especially with all this pagan worship going on, people that wanted to kill him. (laughs) He found some friends. But did you receive the Holy Spirit? That is such an essential part of our faith in Christ is to not only believe in Jesus, but to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And basically, they said no. (laughs) So Paul dunks them in water, baptizes them in the name of Jesus, and then lays hands on them so they receive the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. Come on, Jesus. Friends, let's get people filled with the Holy Ghost. They need Holy Spirit to walk out this new life in Christ, especially in a place like Ephesus, where there was such demonic activity going on, you need Holy Spirit in a world that's ruled by the God of this age. Amen? Amen. So, um, huge revival breaks out. Such power in Paul's preaching occurs that, that this, is the, this is the moment where even his handkerchief is being taken to people with diseases and demonic oppression. And the demons and the diseases are leaving when people touch this piece of cloth. I mean, who needs to be healed? Jesus, heal him. (laughs) Sorry, Becky. (laughs) It'll be Acts chapter 
29 that says, and Matthew threw his thing and actually hurt people, you know? <laughs> so, come on, guys, seriously, let's get so infused with God, so strengthen our inner man by the Holy Spirit that our clothes are radiating the glory of God. I've got some right here, okay? Glory is dripping from me as we speak. For those listening on audio, I'm talking about my pit stains. So, signs and wonders are breaking out. Former sorcerers and witches are publicly burning their incantation books and and spell books and all kinds of things like that. And I just want to say that if you have had any background in sorcery and witchcraft, you need to get rid of that stuff. Followers of Jesus that have had a past in any type of sorcery, if you are being oppressed by those same spirits that you were worshiping before, you've got to get rid of the items that you were using to engage in worship for those things. So, so they did a huge bonfire and burned their incantation books. I'm sorry, Acts 19.20, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Lord, let that be over Dallas, that the word of the Lord would grow mightily in Dallas and that it would prevail, that people bound in sexual addiction and witchcraft would get powerfully delivered, God, even in this church. In Jesus' name. So, that's what they were. Who they are now, light in the Lord. Paul says in verse 1 of Ephesians, to the saints, to the saints. The Passion Translation words it this way, to those that have been made holy. that people with the kind of past that those in the church of Ephesus formerly had are now called saints. That, my friends, is our primary orientation and identity. Saints. Holy ones. Verse 3. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 5. Predestined to adoption as sons. That we are sons of God. Passion translation. For it was always his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. I like that. Delightful. Delightful. God delights in me. His delightful children, the children whom he loves, through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so so that the tremendous grace that cascades over us would glorify his grace. Verse six, our grace has been freely bestowed on us in the beloved. As I'm saying each one of these things about our new nature, our new identity, don't just hear me talk, let the sword of the Lord 
come into your heart and break off every false identity and orientation and let it sink deep into your heart. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness of trespasses, total cancellation of sins. Total cancellation. Chapter 1, verse 11. We've obtained an inheritance. The people of Israel were brought out of a physical land of slavery, ruled by Pharaoh, and they were taken in to a land of promise, which was their inheritance, the land of Israel. And they were given a covenant through Moses to a place of safety, of freedom, of being a royal priesthood in a physical land. But God in Christ Jesus has made a covenant that is better than the one made at Sinai by the shedding of his own blood that we would be brought out of a lifestyle of slavery to Satan himself and all of his host of demons that we would be brought out of that and be given a promised eternal inheritance in a new Jerusalem that's coming out of heaven from God on this earth where the saints will dwell. But even now, and I don't mean to steal Richard's thunder because it's chapter two (laughs) for when he talks, is that even now we are seated in Christ in the heavenly places, that we have been brought into a share of our inheritance even now at the beginning of our walk with the Lord. And the fullness of it will come at the king's return which takes us to verse 13. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. A guarantee. A guarantee. In the ancient world, people would take a stone ring and they'd put a seal on their possessions, an imprint. They would put it on their possessions. They would put it on their slaves to mark what belonged to them. God has marked those that belong to him who were formerly slaves to sin, but have now been marked and become slaves of righteousness, a bond slave of Christ, marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit as a promise and guarantee for redemption. So, That was the church in Ephesus. But that applies to us today. That Matthew, who was formerly darkness, who was formerly bound by self-righteousness, by not knowing who I was, by sexual addiction, that those things now light in the Lord. Now made holy. Now blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now chosen and adopted as a son. Now cascading riches of his grace 
over Matthew's heart and over his soul, obtaining an inheritance and sealed, not with, not with some kind of physical imprint, but with God himself, that God himself lives inside of Matthew Esquivel and has sealed him. Higmans, y'all come on up. We're going to sing about what God's done for us. Because in the same way that Ephesus was formerly darkness but is now light in the Lord, so are you. Formerly darkness, formerly defined by the sin that was oppressing your life, and now you're a light. Let's stand. I'm just going to declare these statements over you again because we tend to forget. And I want to encourage you to take these truths in Ephesians 1 over these next couple of weeks and pray them back to God. Sing them back to God. Here they are. So posture yourself in position to receive from the Lord. Yeah, come up front, stretch out, whatever you want to do. So, Saints of Storehouse, Dallas. Saints of Dallas, Texas. All devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the anointed one. Who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm that he has lavished upon you as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father. To the saints of Storehouse, whose, it was his perfect plan to adopt you as his delightful children through your union with Jesus, that you are now joined to Christ. You have been given treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of sins. The total cancellation of sins. And through our union with Christ, we too, you too, saints of Storehouse, saints of Dallas, have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. And you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He has given us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what is coming the Holy Spirit, the hope promise of our future inheritance. So Father, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for a man who is innocent, that gave his life for those that were guilty, for a man who is purely light, that came to pull out those that were locked in darkness and to make them sons of light. We declare over ourselves right now that we have been made light, that we are no longer identified by the darkness by the sin that oppressed us, but we are defined by what Jesus has done for us. So Father, we receive those cascading riches of your grace right now over our hearts. Let it pour over your heart. Let those fountains of grace, the rivers of God, pour over your heart.